for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Today we welcome Coach Jackie Carson, head women's basketball coach for the Furman Paladins. Coach, thanks for taking a break from school teaching to talk with us. Absolutely. And I was just about to make some type of apology of my kids. I guess we're calling this the recess hour. So if you hear some screaming and it's going to be a quick mute. Uh, but no, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Did you foresee teaching elementary and middle school in your future when you were a college student? Absolutely. I was like, so I have three older brothers. I'm the youngest. Okay. And so I never had that babysitting gene. <laughs> and so obviously my brothers have like kids and I was always the cool aunt that like would play and then just hurry up and give them back. So <laughs> I feel like this is a lot of payback. Like I don't, I, I just never had that like babysitting, like keep your like people around you. So it's it's good to be able to send them to school and unleash it on the teachers. But I have such a greater appreciation for teachers. So for those who don't know uh, Coach's background, she attended Furman. Uh, she was a two-time SoCon Player of the Year, including her senior year where she led the Paladins to a, a tournament championship there and an NCAA tournament appearance. You graduate, you move on. Did you ever think you'd be back at Furman? I didn't because I didn't think I was going to be coaching. So I was I was pre-med at Furman. So uh, I thought immediately I would try to apply for some, you know, you know, early on I was like, okay, I'll just go to med school. But I ended up having a, a good career and I had the opportunity. Uh, the WNBA was about four years old. So I was a, like a replacement player. And then I played overseas two years. And then um, when I stopped playing. Uh, I was supposed to go to Russia and I was like, I'm not going to Russia. It's too cold. Mm -hmm. I also went to Israel like literally three months after 9-11. And so mm -hmm. I thought it was a good time that, you know, I missed basketball, but I totally did not um, want to leave the game. So I thought I would, you know, I never thought I was going to coach, but I 100% just, just thought I would watch the game and study the game and stuff like that, but never coach. I first met Coach Carson at a coaching clinic that she and her staff held back at Furman probably about eight years ago. And both years, her sessions were on player development. That's a topic that we've talked quite a bit about on this podcast. However, I, I haven't had anyone talk specifically about post-player development. So I wanted to have someone who, who doesn't just coach that position, but also excelled at the position. Um, so Coach Carson was kind of an easy choice for me. Co coach, let me start off with a generic question. What would you say are the necessary characteristics of a college post player? Well, number one thing I would say is typically when you come from being a high school post player to a college, um, a lot of high school, especially on, on the female side of it, and, and it's starting to change a little bit because height and, and strength is starting to be more at the grassroots level, but it's typically like they come in and they were taught to play really, really tall just lob the ball up, you know, we'll just, we'll just, you know, throw it over the top. So they were taught to be really, really tall players where at the college level, you have to be a really, really low player. 
So it doesn't matter if you are a six foot five post player for us on the women's side that's as tall. You got to have a low base and you got to have a strong base and you got to post up strong and low and wide. And so that adjustment usually is the biggest problem adjusting from the high school ranks to the college ranks. It's just playing at a, with a lower base and just learning how to stay open and footwork. Footwork is the number one thing that's really, really difficult to teach from high school to college. As you're out recruiting, you just mentioned a couple of the things that you're looking for. Do you feel like more and more of the girls have those skills, have those characteristics, or are you typically recruiting someone who, you know, you've done this for a long enough now that you're like, that player has the potential to be able to be that? Yeah, I think a lot of it, you have to depend on your coaching prowess and you have to depend on and, and making the kids better. Um, I think the, the things that you can't teach, which I'm really, really big on because I, I kind of made my career on this. I don't think you can teach rebounding and have an eye for the ball. I don't think you can teach having great hands. And I don't think you can teach um, just being aggressive. Like, I think that's really difficult to teach, especially for females. It's just how hard you go after that shot, how hard you go on defense, just that that type of thing. I think you can teach footwork. I think you can drill uh, shooting with both hands. I think you can drill, you know, pro posting and stuff like that. But you can't typically, I find, you can't, you definitely can't teach rebounding. You can't teach hands and you can't teach aggression and just wanting to just dominate in the post. You either have it or you don't. So we definitely recruit in those areas and we find like that we can kind of refine the other areas with our teaching. So you find one of those girls, the young lady gets to your program. Do you sit down and map out what you want over the next four years or do you just kind of go out there and go through the same progressions as you would with anybody else and hope that they catch on? We kind of keep the basics the same. So the, that, that same progression with majority of our uh, our post players but there are some that are a little bit different. So uh, as I, I mentioned to you, Tony, I, I was a tweener. So I love promoting mismatches. I love it when um, you're able to have a post player that's able to do so many things that you can't stop them regardless. Like you can't stop. I drill in our post players. You find one move and make it so that no matter what the defense does, they can't stop your one move. And if they try to recruit or if they try to uh, scout against that one move, then you have a you have some counters available. So you're not one dimensional, but I made a whole living in college when I played inside at the pose uh, having a right jump hook. Like and you couldn't stop it. And and my coach did it really good. I played for Sherry Carter, uh, who is the winningest coach in Southern Conference women's basketball history. And you know, I, I just had a right hook. And and she did a good job of drilling footwork so that I could get into my right hook. So and that's what we talk about with our girls, like have one move that is so dominating and then you got to play early offense and you got to do the work early to be able to do that move whenever you want it. And uh, so we always teach our girls that base, like how to play early offense, early defense, how to have footwork. And we drill, um, you know, every one of every person on our team, guards and post alike, they do mic in every single day. They do reverse mic in every single day. You know, so it's just being able to drill the basic fundamentals. Now, as a tweener, I do like, like I said, I like mismatches. I like, I like our bigs to be able to be able to shoot outside. Now, some of our bigs are not there yet. Um, 
I, I, I like all of our bigs that have a drop step, but then we expand some of their games um, to like a lot of pro post face up actions, you know, so that they can, you know, expand on that a little bit. So all of them have the same base and depending on what they feel like they're, that one move is going to be is what we're, we can expand and branch off in different areas. I heard a while back somebody said at the college level, if you have a go-to and a counter, you're pretty much unstoppable. And when I heard it, I was, I was like, yeah, okay, maybe. But the longer I've been around college basketball, like it's so true. If you can be dominant, like you said, at your one thing, you're probably going to be a really good player if you're dominant at that one thing. But if you're able to have that one thing down and a counter, like you're, you're pretty much unstoppable, which is, again, it sounds kind of too easy, but I mean, I, I've seen it. So you talk about those uh, fundamental skills, some of the things you, you already mentioned. What would you say when you get the players there on campus, what are some of the main deficiencies that post players will typically have that you have to really focus on in that, those first two years? What we drill early because we find that they're very deficient is, is just being able to post, we call it iron cross. So palms are always facing the basket. Arms are always strong, nice, long, low base. Uh, post players typically, again, they've been taught to play tall. You know, they're going against 5'10 defenders. They're going against double teams. So, you know, coaches are like, literally just throw it up there, turn around and be able to shoot it. Well, you don't have that. Even with the double teams in college, you got to be low and being ready to be strong and pivot out and absorb contact and stuff like that. So the biggest thing that we, we talk about is because they just have no idea how to post up, period. You know, we say you got to outsmart your defenders. You don't necessarily work harder. You got to know when to post up based on what the defense is doing because post defenders typically don't move a lot and they want to go for steals in a high angle. So if you, we always say lower, we still say lower man wins, but it's lower woman wins. So if you can post up and keep that position and not try to seal sideways for lobs, we preach a lot about, um, and this is the, the stuff that's the hardest for them to, to get, like, I should be able to, as a as a post entry passer, I should be able to read your number and your jersey at all times. So there's never a time that you should be posting up sideways. You should, be, but your angle is so that you can drop step easily and beat your defender. So that's really hard for them to understand that. Like, how are you telling me to post up so that she can read my jersey, but you should telling me that I should already have a drop step to one direction or the other. So trying to perfect that is really, really difficult. In addition to Coach Carson constantly yelling, you got to get lower, get lower, get lower, stamp, keep your feet moving. A lot of post players didn't understand the footwork because they just plant their feet. They're just stuck in cement. No, post play is constantly keeping your feet moving because the defense is constantly moving. Even if they're sitting behind, your feet should constantly be moving. That's the number one hardest thing to get post players to understand. Typically, they know how to, you know, they know how to finish. But how to finish with contact and to keep their feet moving so they can stay open is, a, is what we drill over and over again. And we have to almost drill it day in and day out because if you get lazy with it, then you become a post player that can never finish with contact or, like you said, never has a counter. Right now, Huddle is offering real COVID-19 relief for entire athletic departments with the Return to Play program. The program includes subscriptions for every program as well as a free upgrade to have Huddle Assist and Huddle Focus the smart camera that automatically records and uploads your games, and the ability for parents and fans to watch your live streams for free, all at your current subscription price. For basketball coaches, that means you get the smart camera for your gym, 
which automatically records your home games, with the flexibility to record any practices or drills you want with the push of a button. You also get Huddle Assist. That means full game breakdowns, including full team and player stats in less than 24 hours, so your stats are ready when you need them. Leverage interactive reports and advanced stats like shot charts or lineup data to coach smarter. Want to see how Huddle can help you dominate this season? Visit Huddle.com. That's Huddle.com to learn more. This kind of addresses some of the things that you've touched on. It has to do with style of play, and I have a couple of questions to go with it. A few weeks ago, we had the SEC Women's Tournament here in Greenville, and a lot of the teams come over and use our facilities, so I was watching some of them play. But how often do you face a dominant post players? Are, are, are you playing like – I guess more of it is style of play. Are you seeing more teams going small or, or do they still have that one back to the basket girl that can really dominate a game? Yeah. So there was a trend for a long time and it's slowly starting to change a little bit, but the trend went, um, and I think it's like just following suit of NBA to positionless basketball. So women's basketball went super small for a while. Like just being able to have stretch fours, even stretch fives, no power post players, and it, it kind of went away from having this elite power post player. Um, early on in my career here, we had uh, Brittany Hodges, who's still playing pro in Australia. She's a six foot and she was a, just opposing coaches would be like, does she just eat weights? She was so <laughs> strong. It was crazy. And, but she was six foot tall. And she had such a great career. She was freshman of the year and she was an all-conference kid for three seasons. And, and she was just amazing. And then after that, our post play wasn't quite the same. We had a great stretch four to go along with her. So we had we were a lot faster. Our transition kicked off. And then, but when I was at James Madison, we had fives. We had big fives. And we somehow developed them. And, and we led the country when I was at Jamie. We led the country in rebounding. And uh, our field goal percentage was crazy because we had – Tamara Young, who still plays in the WNBA. I mean, we just had some outstanding players, but our fives were huge. And so I kind of, I, I loved, I, I was in charge of post play at JMU and I just loved being able to have that big five. So I kind of went back to it early and this is when we recruited Selena Taborn, who, um, and, and she doesn't mind me saying this now because she's kind of transformed her body. We, it was in the, it was about the time right now, and I was like, I need a I need a five. I want a, a, a true five. I want a, a monster on the block. And so my my assistant's kind of like, hey, like take a look at this kid. And um, I look, and she she's about six six three six four, and on her high school film, she was about two seventy five. And I'm like, and nobody was recruiting her because they's like, she, this kid is too big and she's too slow, and so. We, I brought her in and I said, Selena, I said, listen, this is going to be the hardest thing you've had to do. And she said, nobody's ever believed I could and nobody's taught me how. And I said, well, I can do those two things. And so we brought her in and she is a matchup problem for our league because, as I said, it's slowly starting to come back, especially at the power five level where you have a true big, you have a true five. But in our level, at the mid-major level, it's very rare. And so we had two young ladies this past year that we actually have three true fives are all big size. And we, at one point we would play them together and people were like, Holy crap, you know, like, cause we would have six, three and six, four in there. And they're both like, like I said, really strong girls. 
And so I kind of like going away from it a little bit, but I feel like the trend is slowly coming back where people are having a true five and a, a, a stretch four. Do you ever post guards? I do. I love it. Um, a, a few years ago, and a lot of the listeners will probably understand this, I had a young lady on my team named Holly Wilkins. And Holly's dad was Gerald Wilkins and her uncle was Dominique Wilkins. So, mm. But she was a six foot one guard, but she had broad shoulders and she absorbed contact better than any guard I still had played with. And so she was my three. And I love it because, again, I'm that tweener and I love seeing mismatches. So we would have, um, and even the last few years when I had Sierra Carter who could play the three, four and I had Caitlin Duncan, who was a three, four, five. So when people would try to put their guards on certain ones, I would just flip them and then I would post up my guard spot, you know? So I love, and, and I'm super excited because we have, um, three kids signed for next season who are all post up their big guards and so there, we're going to be able to put those little aspects back in our playbook. I love posting up guards. I asked that just because I think still, if we talk about post play, they're thinking of just big players who don't, they're not very athletic. They just kind of go down the block. They're real big. We throw them the ball, like you said, because they're taller than everybody else and they score. But I mean, if you look at the analytics of today's game, getting the ball into the post, people say, yeah, it's still not a great points per possession, but I mean, passing out of the post and hitting shots is really important. So like I said, the guard I, I like posting the guard. So I hope people are listening to this and taking some of the things that you're talking about and applying it to that position, not just to, to big players. So you touched on this a little bit earlier, but how has it how has the game changed post player wise? You talked about your girls trying to teach them to step out and shoot a little bit more, but um, the way that you coached it maybe when you first started or even there at JMU versus how you're coaching post play now. Yeah. So it's changed a lot because a little bit, it sounds bad. You have to deprogram them when they get to the college level. Uh, what's rare is a, is a a young lady that owns being a post player. For a while, especially in women's basketball and recruiting, um, you, you get a tall young lady and be like, hey, can you score on the block? Well, I'm not a post. Well, there's nothing wrong with being a post, being everything, you know, and like being able to expand your game. Mm-hmm. Like there was just this uh, thought process that if I'm a post, I can only be on the block and I can only score on the block and I can only do this on the block. Well, that's not post play anymore. So, you know, post play is, is a high post, is a mid post, is the elbow shot, is a, you know, a pick and pop from the top of the key. Like we, we kill a play that's called one pop for us. And it's basically a high ball screen into you know, our four player popping back and, you know, we have a young lady, Tierra Hodges, who's an all conference kid uh, on our team. She's a five, nine post player. She's our, our five, nine, four, and she led the, the conference mm-hmm. in rebounding. And so I tell them all the time, it's not post play. is not about how big you are. It's about how big you play. And so it's just the mentality of having, I think that's what's, what's kind of starting to evolve back. But again, that we've lost in the recruiting is, I want to be able to score on the block and that, and that play that makes you a post player, you know, and so just like you said at the guards, posting up a guard, if you're on the block and you're doing a back to the basket move or even a face up move that makes you a post player in that, in that time, because you're on the block, you know, and if you pop out, you can still be a post. You're just a stretch, you know, so just, just this mentality is a little bit different because again, you used to have centers, it's rare for people to have a center. Everybody's like, well, I'm a, like a, I'm a forward. I'm a small forward. I'm a power forward. No, you're a center. It's okay to be a center. <laughs> you know? And so that's that's the thing. It's just the mentality of what post play is. 
And that's what I said, um, the things that we look for, like I'm looking for that mentality. I'm looking for that kid that's strong because a lot of people just want to be, just shoot threes and don't want to be posed. Well, I'm a three, four. Okay. You can, you can be a stretch four. It's okay. <laughs> you know, post players can't shoot threes. They just don't live on the block. So that's the biggest thing I think that's changed is when I was at JMU, those post players were like, no, I'm a post. I own this area. This is my area. I, I love this. And um, I think that was just at the time of recruiting. And as more people have gotten to the game, they're like, wow, she can do it all coach. She can expand her game. Well, what does she do best? As, as we alluded to, like, you can't tell me what she does best and I can't give you your go-to move. Like, it's okay to do one thing really, really good and just be able to not do others. Like expanding your game is great, but still have something you do really, really well. Right. As the lines have blurred between positions, I'm interested to hear how different coaches do think. So when you are uh, running a, a team practice, not mm-hmm. an individual workout, but a team practice where everybody's together, do you do most all of your drills together or do you at times split guards and forwards? I do. I, you know, it's funny because this is something I've been wrestling with in the off season. And it was um, something I heard at a, 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 during the virtual clinics that I've been listening to. And um, I forgot it was a, he's a D league coach and his name just completely escaped me. He was at Lehigh and he coached with CJ. He coached CJ McCollum and um, he was talking about practice planning. And so traditionally what we've done in the past is um, we have about a 12-minute segment where we work on guard post breakdown. So I have my guards at one end uh, with my coaches that run the guards in. I have my post players at the other end. And they're working on stuff separately, but they're working on the same concept. So when we bring them back together, that we all kind of mesh back. But maybe it's the finish on a certain play that the posts need to work on, or it's the angle of posting up that we need to work on. And the, the guards are at the other end learning how to deliver that pass. And if the post player needs to kick it back out from that same set, how to knock down that shot or showing on the staggered screen, stuff like that. We have a lot of actions in our place. And so I have divided it up. Uh, like I said, and we do that typically every day for about 12 minutes. Uh, and then practice is usually about two hours and everything else is in the team setting and, and team shooting. Again, we teach the same things. And one of the things that I want to start doing more that my coach used to do when I played, and I think it under, helps people understand the game more, and I did it a couple times this season, probably not enough, is I switched the guards in the post. So I had my my guards run all the post action. I had my post run it because they were like, well, she's not getting open. I was like, well, you know, let's flip for it. Let's see how good it, how easy it is for you. Well, she's not setting me a good screen. She's not headhunting. Okay, well, let's flip. And let's see if you can headhunt her girl. You know, so I think they had a better understanding. And my coach used to do that all the time. We had to know all five positions of the, you know, on the floor. We had to be able, we had play tests where we had to literally write down where every single person was in every single play. I think kids and anybody, and even some coaches, which is a little bit tough, uh, I think they would struggle to do that. I don't think they can understand all the actions at all five positions. So I, I, I did do a lot more in a team setting. But I also want to do what I learned from that virtual clinic is still just stations. So not necessarily breaking it up from a guard post position standpoint, but breaking it up in stations where you isolate actions, but everybody is doing that action. For most high school coaches, they 
this concept may kind of be foreign to them, but typically at the college level, you're doing a lot of your teamwork and what you said, where you're breaking down plays or components of an action and having different groups practice them. But a lot of the skill work is done in individual workouts. How often do you all do the individual workouts during the season? And then if you want to talk to about maybe just, you don't have to go minute by minute, but like what would a post player workout, individual workout look like? With our girls, we tell them that one of the things we stressed this past season, so in, at the college level, you get when you're in season, you get 20 hours of countable activity, uh, related activity. And so um, we read a book. It was um, the Kevin Eastman book. We read, and he mentioned in his book, if you're a 20-hour-a-week player, then you're a very average player. And so we kind of stress that with our girls because so much of our practice and our concepts are our, uh, our team. So you have to come in early and you have to go grab a coach in order to be able to work on whatever your, your actions are, like just your individual skill play. So our girls did a really good job of just grabbing a coach and coming in and working on their individual game. So we didn't encompass it a lot in practices because our girls would come in and do it on their own. But we did start every single, like I said, we started every single practice with uh, we call it and another thing that I thought is really helpful to have a little bit of a segue is we realize our girls coming from the high school level to college don't know a lot of history about the game, nor do they know a lot of players in the game and <laughs> in, in the women's game, which is WNBA, and even at the college level, some of the best ones. So we named drills based off of great players. So our girls would come in, they would do Kelsey Plum shooting. Um, you know, and we would do, you know, just different drills and, uh, and we would name it after a certain player that they definitely need to know that was a great shooter. So if I want to shoot like Kelsey Plum, like, I mean, you know, we'd start with Kelsey Plum shooting. So that was just form shooting. It wasn't really anything significant, but we saw her at a final four. She did the form shooting. So we named it after her. Um, so we did that. Um, and like I said, we did form shooting, we did uh, footwork, bank shots, um, from both sides. And this is every single player. So this started every single individual workout. This started every single practice when we had all of our baskets down. But in terms of, sorry, we did the Kelsey Plum shooting. We do the three spot shooting. So they would backpedal to the three point line, touch with their back foot. They'd sprint in one, two, and they shoot a bank shot off the block. And so they had to make five of those. They would switch, go to the middle, make five of those. And that's just footwork, holding your follow through, not dipping the ball, um, and again, this is guard and post every single workout before the, the warm up for every single practice, every single workout. Um, and then, like I said, miking where they keep the ball over their head, working on touch, reverse miking. Now, when we went straight to a post player workout, they would start with that. And then we would just do s- simple touch. So we might throw, uh, have them almost stand directly under the rim. And the ball starts in their right hand and you're just literally flipping the ball over the front of the rim, catch it with your left hand, arms straight up in the air, transfer it back to the right. And it's just quick reps of quick touch over the front of the rim. And that's just having an idea where the rim is, how to manipulate your arm and manipulate your touch. Say you drop step too deep and you still got to be able to score it. And we just make them make a really tough touch shot, basically staying under the rim. And we do that with both hands. Um, uh, another one that we do, and uh, one thing that I did, I did a, a clinic at the Georgia High School Association, and it was a whole 
thing about how to use the tossback. The tossback is an amazing tool for post-development workouts. It is amazing. So just uh, we get out our tots back and, you know, we're just doing footwork again, keeping your feet moving the entire time. Hands stay up. Like we said, we post with our palms always facing the ball handler and the ball. But we have our arm crossed. So your elbow is the same height as your shoulder, but your palms are facing the ball and you're sitting low as you can. And we're just tossing the ball off of, you know, the toss back with our feet moving again, low, working on our hands and our catching. So, again, we can't. I still think you can't recruit a kid like that can't catch and then all of a sudden expect them to catch, but you can always work on your hands and your, and your, uh, and your footwork. So we would do that right hand. They have to, you know, throw it off the toss back about 50 times, switch to the left hand, feet are moving active. And then they alternate hands back and forth. We do something called a bad pass drill. So they will start on the three point line, kind of like on the wing and they're sprinting in and we are throwing them as coaches the worst possible pass they can catch because we tell our guards they, they're not great perimeter passers and we tell our post, you catch it anyhow. You know, so we are throwing it at their feet. We're throwing it over their head. We're throwing it like everywhere and they have to learn how to gather it and power up with it still. I am a huge proponent of not traveling or excuse me, not dribbling. So I want you to catch the ball. I tell our guards, you don't deliver the ball to the post until they can catch it and gather it without dribbling. You know, so we practice all of our moves without a dribble because it's also their responsibility. Again, we preach footwork, 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 and early offense. It is your job as a post player in early offense to do the work so that you don't have to dribble when you get the ball. So that's, that's getting position. That's getting them on your hip. That's posting up low. That's your iron cross. So, When they try to step around you, all I have to do is catch, drop, step, and finish. You know, so again, we have so many bigs. People try to double us all the time. You can't double us because we don't dribble. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And and we just, like I said, we do a lot of drills, throwing it off the backboard, snatching the ball out of the air and powering up without dribbling again. Sometimes we throw the ball, again, another rebounding one just for finishing drills. Uh, The post players will be facing the backboard. We'll kind of throw it under the basket. So that they have to catch the ball. This is one of the few times we tell them to dribble, two-hand power dribble, power back, and then score it. And we are constantly hitting them with pads, trying to block shots. We are fouling them, (laughs) to be honest. They can get used to contact because, again, I I have three bigs on my team. And officials love to call fouls against them and never call fouls for them. So we practice fouling them all day long and giving them no excuse to why they're missing. Well, she's all over me, but you shouldn't even felter. Like we hit you much harder in practice. So those are just some of the things that we work on, but those are daily. And that's regardless of what size post player, or what kind of post player you are. Yeah. The drills are hard to explain, but you did a fantastic job. And the toss back. That was great. The, the toss back. I'm guessing that there's some coaches who are listening to this, who probably have one of those sitting in the corner of their gym and don't even know what it is. It is amazing. Especially post players in passing because you realize how bad of a passer you are with the toss bag if you don't that's you know, that's totally the, right yeah we we name our toss back because our rule is when you pass <laughs> you have to say the name so you know um his name is tommy he's tommy toss back so i like you know, it like, hey tommy and like so they, they hit tommy in the hands and if you don't hit tommy in the hands obviously we know what happens the ball doesn't come right back to you so it, it makes you really focus on throwing a good pass and we do it a lot where we'll throw it off the, you know, this one's going to probably be a little bit harder via visual, but so the toss back is literally 
at the free throw line facing the basket. And then your post player is like just one step, maybe at the top of the arc. I know a lot of high school don't have an arc, uh, the lower defensive arc uh, where we take charges, but right in front of the rim. So the coach is under the basket. We throw it off the toss back. You don't know where it's going to go. And then you just got to go get it. And then you got to make a move from wherever you catch it. And it's an amazing drill because you got to go headhunt the ball. Again, we throw, we kind of angle the toss back in all types of weird directions. So it may be where like you angle it so that the ball goes really, really wide. So you catch and now you become a face up post and you got to make a strong move, maybe one dribble max. But that drill is amazing to do. And we just keep repping it. Like as soon as the ball goes, they score it, another ball is coming off of it. And they got to quickly turn around and make quick, strong moves because the next ball is coming. So that is a great one. And if anyone is listening, my email is Jackie, J-A-C-K-I-E dot Carson, C-A-R-S-O-N at Furman.edu. And I have some videos of that from previous clinics. So if you want any ideas on tossback actions, I can try to send those videos to you. That is fantastic. You have inspired me to try to go find where our tossback is. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, well, like you said, like you that it sounds easier. Like how you just throw it at this net and it just bounces back to you. But that thing, if you throw that, you got to throw like the perfect pass. And if you don't want the perfect pass, you just move your pass by about half an inch and that thing ricochets all over the place. So it does. It is a, uh, it can be a great tool or it can really cause you to lose your temper. Either one. So either one. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a benefit to you one way or the other. Before I let you go, do you have any camps? Obviously, health. You know, if the health, everybody, yeah. everything works with us. But do you have any camps coming up maybe this summer that listeners may want to send their players to? Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, our little camp, which is always just a lot of fun. But those are just for the small kids who are just trying to just love the game of basketball. So that's um, June 7th through the 10th. Uh, all of our camps are like in a big row. So it's, it's, it's an exhausting week, but it's actually a really, really fun week as well. We have elite camp, which we have signed a player out of elite camp every single year, to be honest. And and that's that's June 10th and 11th. So it starts the afternoon. Um, it's like it's on a Wednesday. So it's a Wednesday, Thursday camp. And then our team camp is that following Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I think that's June. What is that? June 12th through the 14th. And our team camp, uh, we had over 60 teams last year. It was sold out. Wow. It was, um, we had a number of state champions. I know we had a state champion in South Carolina, Tennessee state champ, like just really like awesome uh, basketball programs of, of all levels. And we, we will divide you up based on your level. It's a one, two, three um, day option. So we try to just, you, you can stay on campus, you can stay off campus. Like we try to give you every option that fits for your budget and fits for what you're trying to get out of camp. And we loved having chalk talks with our high school coaches, we do have individual instruction as well at our high school, at our team camps. It's optional. So you, we're, we'll work with your team. Um, we do some station work, just really what you're trying to get out of it. So if you want more information about camps, it's Jackie Carson basketball camps with an S.com. And, and, and we can answer any questions on there. Fantastic. That's coach Jackie Carson of the Furman Paladins. Coach, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for taking some time for us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the invitation. I look forward to hearing from anyone I can help and uh, just go Dens. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.